Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its coming. There is a river whose stream makes glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city, it shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. The nations are in an uproar, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord. See what desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The word of the Lord. You may be seated and the kids are invited to the church. Is that there is 
that we exist within a world of violence. One for three, it's the violence of nature, the seas and storms again. In the second section, it's the violence of, of kingdoms that totter, and yet it is the city of God that does not, because God resides in it. it ends with the refrain, the Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. And then the third section has this way in which God looks at all the wars that have been, all the ways in which we have tried to build our own kingdoms, to, to find our own way on earth. And it, I often think that today, you know, we fought wars over land and this, that, and the other, even to build our own kingdoms of our alleged peace. But the confidence within me to sort out all world affairs only when people would listen. I would be the one who could bring world peace. Even that type, this way that God looks at that, and that's where this command, be still and know that I am God. And it's almost like this is, this is stop trying to use your own mechanisms to build this kingdom. Stop trying to use your own technology to make this peace exist. You've reached the limits, and this is in that psalm that he read for us. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear, burns the shields with fire, is what proceeds. Be still and know that God. Again, this is maybe more clergy conferences, but you come to that space and they're like, we're just going to pray verse 10. And you forget that this psalm exists within a world of violence. And one of the things I often try to say that amazes me about scripture is the way in which it tells the truth about the world. But this psalm said, things are great, you're mainly good on the inside, you mainly have pious thoughts. Matt, take some time to be still and think about how great the things are that you can conceive of yourself. It would be a lie, because I know I'm not that interested. But it would also be a lie in the sense of uh, that's not the world we, we exist in. We see um, violence yesterday in Israel. We see natural destruction throughout the world commonly. We see the ways in which our own technology, and this I think is more important for our age, makes us slaves to it. We create these things without even really knowing how they will consume us sometimes. Um, we, we, we find ourselves in the modern era, um, the book we're studying for a book discussion, unable to really pay attention to things. I was on a call this week um, discussing sort of uh, the modern nation, whatever. But in the middle of the call, and I'm sure this happened to a lot of you, an amber alert goes off. Um, it wasn't actually an amber alert this week, it was something else. I didn't read it, so judge me for that. But. Um, but like everybody then ceases to do, we have a call to attention. There's not a call to attention of anything of our own choosing, minus that we have cell phones. But we're sort of called, and the way I often think, if you've ever looked at people um, looking at their cell phone in some sort of dark place after a movie or something like that, the way it enlightens the face, the way it sort of makes the face grow, it's like this object of adoration. There's an old piece of artwork called Old Woman Reading a Bible, and she has her Bible open before her, and it is the Bible that is um, casting light on her face. 
it is lightning her is where we get from Psalm 119 that the word is a lamp unto our feet. No need for lamps anymore. Just call my cell phone to turn on the flashlight function. Um, and you know that wasn't a funny joke apparently, but <laughs> but I will try to save it. Um, uh, it's more a statement about how we've changed in some ways. It's, 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 as a metaphor, it's we don't need lamps, we just have flashlights. But as a, a meaning-based sort of statement about realities, we don't have need for much in the modern world. Psalm 46 can become the type of thing when I pray, just verse 10, when I want to feel good about myself. Be still, and know that I am God. The emphasis is on know that I am God. And that's what we'll get as we walk through this psalm this morning, is trying to get into what does it mean to get to that point at the end of this psalm, where we can hear, be still, stop your mechanisms of self-saviorship or self-destruction. Stop thinking that all the news you get about the world is definitively what's true. Stop consuming all of that. And know that there is one beyond. One that is firmer. One that is in place. And one in the opening of the psalm that is our refuge. That is our strength. But that is what we can move into. Now I... Um, Shifting gears just for a second, I often um, joke with people that we are the world's um, slowest growing church in America. Like it grows every year like by like half a person or something like that. Like it grows, but it never really grows at the same rate. But the joke now is that I'm the world's slowest learning pastor in America because it was last week when David was preaching that I finally came, oh, this series on the Psalms, and it's the reason why I talk about it every week and David talked about it last week, is about prayer. Now, if you think about that for a sec, that one actually is funny, because the Psalms are for us to pray. They are our prayer book. And I thought it'd be cool to give sermons on the Psalms, not knowing that I'd be giving sermons about prayer until week four. Congratulations, me. Uh, I mean, it kept coming up, and I was like, I was thinking, why, why am I thinking about prayer so much? Um, it's not, I'm, I'm not as good at, you know, I could never write a book on prayer, um, uh, partially because I think it's one of those things that's better to be doing than to be reading about. Um, it's better to be involved in than to have like somebody write out how, how you should pray or something like that. Um, but as I was thinking through that, I was like, we have been listening to these psalms not just as information for us, but as prayers which call us into the world call us into the world with a certain perspective and a certain way of understanding our history and living. For instance, this psalm, as we pray, it begins, God is our refuge. It's not just information we receive at this point. But as we even think about our lives, it's a, it's a phrase we don't use as much anymore, but like our soul, soul is the phrase we don't talk about much anymore. My soul has a refuge in God. God is our refuge and strength. 
often, I think, again, we don't use lamps, so I hope it doesn't go. Um, I have my own refuges I can manufacture in the modern world. God is my strength, I guess, theoretically. But if I've got to go about my daily life, I'd better have better wells for my strength. Or I can listen to the psalm, have it instruct within me. God is my refuge. God is my safe place. God is the place in which my soul can find its home, even in the midst of a world which clamors for my attention or is consistently under threat of violence from nature or violence from, from um, kings and nations in that second part. Um, so much so that, that at the end it looks like that is what the final word is. And the psalm begins with its first word, which is that God is our refuge and strength. Before we get to the problems of the world, see, oftentimes, thinking I'm guilty of that in my sermon. No, I started with the be still and no thing, um, so I'm not. Uh, um, but often we're tempted to begin with all the things which draw our attention away from us, all the things which the psalm says God is more permanent than. The psalm starts with is that God is our refuge. Not, hey, look at the world as it is. Wouldn't you like to have a refuge to move into? I think that's part of maybe the errors we have and how we do evangelism sometimes today is, you know, there's a much better spot to be. But it's first a prayer for us to find our refuge and strength in God, to move into that place where God is our rescue, a refuge and strength. In the second words of the psalm, it adds set proclaims an ever-present help in trouble. An ever-present help Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way. Amazing part about this psalm is it sees a people who, I think so often, be still and know that I'm God, um, in those contexts I was in, often became an individualized thing, right? Like, you be still, you're, you um, think about yourself. But what the second part of the psalm proclaims is, therefore, we will not fear. Not, therefore, I will not fear. But therefore, we as the people who have seen God's activity in the world will not be bound by fear. Now, there is much fear in the world. I was um, thinking about all the things, even like the nice voices, are trying to sell you things out of fear um, oftentimes. Like, you should do these things, you should have these policies, your world should be equipped this way so that bad things don't happen. Um, uh, you should make sure that these things are structured in these ways um, so that that you can control fear. Um, but they're selling you fear to do it. I mean, it's, it's quite interesting. I'm, I'm trying to think of an example, but once I thought of like, two overloaded uh, imagery. Uh, essentially, insurance is kind of this in some ways. Like, you need insurance. We're here to help you. And one of the reasons we sell you this is because something bad might happen to you. The whole mechanism is sort of based off of this sort of fear. Um, and there's many other things in our world that, that the first, like some of the ads, many ads, 
even though they are happy in many ways, the pharmaceutical ads are perhaps the best of these, always are underlying some sort of fear within it too. But this psalm proclaims, therefore we will not fear. We know someone, know one who is active, presence, in which we find our souls being drawn out of fear. Therefore we will not fear. What the psalmist face in this is though the earth give way, though the mountains fall into the sea, those waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surge. What the psalmist sees is, for us, we can read this as a natural disaster, which is one way to read this psalm, is that to say, in the midst of natural disasters that befall us, we will not fear. But in the ancient Near East, a little bit of what the psalm is proclaiming is though everything would become dissolved, we will not fear. Though all of the things that we think are the firmest things in our world, now that, that raises questions. What do we think are the firmest things in our world? It's one thing to say in the midst of a natural disaster in Colorado, protected from some but not protected from all, Prayerfully, may I make it through my life without confronting anyone that's scary. I will not fear is a prayer of sort of hope, a good one. But in the context of the psalm, it's saying that if the whole world were to be under threat, if all that we thought was solid was to be shaken, we would still know where our refuge and strength is. And then this is, works in two ways. I think there's some ways in which my uh, refuge and strength um, that we thought could not be shaken, I think many people felt that way on September 11th, perhaps. That, that this country's um, uh, protection, its wisdom and how it guarded things, this, that, and the other, um, airlines, you know, all that stuff were safe. And what happened was something was shaken. That's national. But we see it in our personal lives, too. There are things that I don't expect to be shaken. And I was talking to a pastoral friend this week. We, um, he was trying to work through some trauma that had happened in his own life. And I said, you know, in my past church, there was this weird phenomenon of people who suffered greatly. And yet the deal that they then structured between themselves and God was that nobody they loved could suffer. Their own suffering, I will not fear through. When their daughter got sick, when something happened to a loved one, that was everything solid had been shaken. My friend was going through um, something that happened to his wife. He said, that's exactly what I'm going through. He said, I thought everything was solid. As I thought anything could happen to me, I could live through that. Anything that happened to somebody that I love, that's causing everything to be shaken. You embrace what you think is permanent and permanently stable in many different realms. The psalmist asked to imagine, imagine all of that is shaken to its core. The waters in the ancient Near East, we've talked about this before, have this way of, if, of what creation is called out of, these chaos waters. In the ancient Near East, there was this way in which we were Kings and people were judged on their ability to handle the waters. These are existential terrors more than they are just floods. This is, this is a real sort of 
existential problem for them is this question of what do we do in the midst of these things that we can't control? Um, in the mountains, quake with their surging. There was a little bit of this, um, within their way of understanding the world was that the mountains sort of held the land in place all the way down to the sea. And in some um, ancient Near East texts, it seems that the mountains also hold back the waters of the heavens. Both those things give way. The middle space becomes nothing. In the midst of that, these are people who say, though we will not fear. And it ends with that refrain, um, falls into that refrain again, the Almighty is with us, and the God of Jacob is our fortress. But while waters are a threat there, this is the genius of this psalm. Verse 4 changes. Waters are a threat, and yet the psalm begins, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. We live in the existence of all this fear of water, and yet within the city of God there is a river whose streams make glad that. Commentators really struggle with this because there is no river in Jerusalem, which has been the problem they have when they're under siege, is how are they going to get water? Conceptually, you can kind of make sense of this then to say that as we look with God eyes, it's calling out this sort of faith within us in Psalm 46. It's to say that in those eyes, there is a river which makes that city glad. The one thing that it lacks, in some sense, is now there. So another way in which the rivers flow out of temples, often in ancient imagery, that you see the rivers flowing away, and it's that river that brings healing and life that flows out of the temple into other spaces. So the river just doesn't flow in, it flows out of the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, she will not fail. God will help her at the break of day. That within this place, God is near. Now, for Christians, and we're going to sing Martin Luther's hymn, The Mighty Fortress is My God, is based on this psalm. But what Martin Luther does is he replaces the notion of Zion, namely where God dwells, with Jesus being with where God dwells now. And if you think it's odd that Jesus becomes the city in some way, what is sort of proclaimed in John 1 is that the word became flesh and tabernacle would be um, the word going back into Hebrew from there. Tabernacle makes his dwelling among us. You see, in the beginning of John's gospel, Jesus becomes that dwelling and city in which they were looking for. And the city's permanence, and this is worth remembering, is not in the city. It's because God dwells there. So often, I think we're tempted to find, again, this place worked once, it will work always, and forget this place worked once because of God. And we quickly substitute the, the mechanism, or the uh, technology, or the means for God. That becomes the ways in which we're, we are saved. But this psalm reminds us, because God is there, that the city will not. In the first one, it was seas and water that were in uproar. And in this section, it's nations that are in an uproar. Kingdoms fall, and God lifts up his voice, and the earth 
bells. In the Hebrew, there'd be some contrast here between this uproar and that first one in which the waters were doing. The waters were in an uproar. The kingdoms are in a rubble. But what is stable is this one who is God who can melt the earth with his voice. The Almighty is with us in it. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, the Lord Almighty translated, um, uh, the Lord's armies are with us. And the God of Jacob is our fortress. The two names, I think, are both worth pondering, just in the sense of which we have sort of this um, general, the Lord Almighty, which proclaims the strength of God. And we also have a story. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God of Jacob being a call to memory what God has done in the past. God doesn't just promise, always, that I'm bigger or stronger than everything else. But God calls us into a particular story of a particular people. We're grafted into that story as Christians. God is with us. God within her, she will not fail. God will help her at daybreak. God is our ever-present help. So the psalm concludes then, Come and see what the Lord has done. Brings us to, um, I love the opening of John's Gospel, where they proclaim to the other disciples, Come and see the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought upon the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spears. He burns the shields with fire. What's weird about this passage is that while there's warfare within it, God seems to be waging peace, not war. God seems to be waging the end of our weapons. And we see that in other prophecies, too, that, that our spears shall be um, beaten pruning hooks, um, that our weapons in which we go through warfare become weapons of agriculture, um, that God transforms those things. It's here, too, that uh, David had that phrase, wasn't Ambrose, who was it, David? Antioch. Antioch. Force is not a attribute of God. Force is not an attribute of God. Um, here, uh, God breaks those things in which we bring our wars to bear. He breaks the technologies that we think we can use to sort of govern human relations. Makes wars to cease. If you <coughs> Sit in that. Things in which we are so bound up in. One of the most powerful forces, I still think, often today, war, um, causes us to do and become things which we would not imagine becoming otherwise. Is God who causes that to cease, causes that to be no more. And the, the way that the structure of the psalm work has sort of this creation in the first one, politics, um, history in the second one, and this third one, there's a bit of what the, the big word term is eschatology, this last times, this end times thing, that given the vision of the fullness of history, wars will cease. That God brings peace upon the earth. That is which we are moving towards. So it calls us into having 
um, that I in our lives. That what we think matters all the time. That what we think is definitive in, in the nations, in mountain sense, that which we always imagine is stable, what we think is definitive in the kingdoms that we build and how the nations go and how wars are fought also is not the final word, but it is his voice and his word that causes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. And heightened levels, Ukraine, Israel, and those places we would be wise to think of. But also, it's hard, um, but it's, I think, important to see this in our near lives. You know, it makes wars to cease and think of your workplace. It's not all far away. It's not quite an election year, but family systems, to walk into those places, he makes wars to cease. An election year, people want the family war. Well, some people do. Um, I hope we, we aren't those people, but some people want to bring the conflict. They want to have that fight. It makes wars cease. Things that we, we pump into our imagination. Eugene Peterson, who wrote the book that we're kind of using as a guide in a different book, he says that the devil has three great enemies against the soul. Hurry, noise, and crowds. Hurry, noise, and crowds. Which brings us to that line, be still and know that I am God. The solution is not more noise. The band Switchfoot, who I never quote, has one song that I like, which they say, uh, if, you're, if we're adding to the noise, turn off this song. Um, the things I hope our church, as people as we go out into the world, is if we're adding to the noise, turn us off. If we're adding to the noise. Be still and know that I am God as we are drawn into a world of hurry. Be still. But who will do all the things that need to get done? I need to build my security as best as I can. I need to run, run, run. Or, perhaps as this is near to my world, childhood athletics. I need to be in a hurry to make sure my kids are happy by having every moment of their day programmed. So they find out how boring life can be. Hurry. Noise crowds. And we are a society that loves crowds. Uh, except for Don. Don, Don and Shelley just went to Europe, and Don said it was just crowded everywhere. Um, but sporting events, um, political rallies, um, uh, and there's these spaces in which people, in good spaces, can say sometimes we lost ourselves. We gained a part of something bigger. But now think about that. Um, in light of the Nuremberg rally, uh, a Nazi rally, for some things. Within the, the, the fever and the excitement of that crowd, we lost ourselves. The crowds, sometimes, you know, a concert's fun, I'm not, 
and all of that. But this idea that we became something more than ourselves means sometimes you will be a part of movements, ideologies, things and places that are not a part of you. We lost ourselves in the spirit of the crowd. That becomes one of these enemies as well. Be still and know that I am God. For I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Psalm ends again. The Lord Almighty is with us. This psalm is a journey of faith for some of us, I think. For me, it is. But then begin to narrate my world. Coming through prayer, and did not put that together, a series on the psalms, a series about prayer. Coming through prayer, the Lord Almighty is with us. That is good news. The God of Jacob is our fortress. What we have now at the end, and this is the final point, is we don't have a place that we're being called to. We don't have a crowd or noise or hurry that we're being called to and beats still that I know that I'm God. What we have is a presence that we can be called into tending to, inviting in to our lives and souls so that we can go throughout the world in different ways. God can be our presence in life. For me, as I go forward, it becomes something to learn and to believe, I think, seeing with the eyes of faith, the Lord Almighty is with us. God of Jacob is our fortress. Let us pray. God, may we hear the word to be still and know that you are God. So many things clamor in our world to be our gods, calling us to be servants and noise or crowds or hurry. Yet if we can still ourselves and listen and pray, we begin to know that you are our God that brings an end to war, brings an end to nations and kingdoms that attempt to take over. And though everything we think is solid may be shaken, it is you who remains firm. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. Amen. Before Jonathan plays the sending song, two other things. Shelley.